Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's uh, edition of the Weekly Market Insights podcast. Thanks very much indeed for downloading and listening to us. Uh, my name is Charles Prado, and I'm delighted this week to be joined by Patrick Vogel. Um, uh, Patrick, as is known to all of you, uh, is Head of Credit for Europe. Before we get into the conversation, Patrick, let me just um, recap a little bit about what's been going on over the last uh, few days. We speak in a very much a risk-off market environment uh, where uncertainty uh, is the watchword. And as so often happens in the summer uh, when markets are trading more thinly, you can often get these uh, bouts of volatility. particular catalysts for the volatility at the moment would, of course, centre around uh, the renewed, in inverted commas, uh, hostilities of rhetoric uh, between the Trump administration uh, and China in terms of trade, um, with the prospective uh, introduction of further tariffs. uh, And then, of course, uh, the response that came out of China, uh, which was to allow uh, the currency to devalue beyond that uh, seven level. Compounding the uncertainty has been the very particular drama playing out in uh, Argentina, uh, where uh, during the primary polls, as a result of the primary polls this weekend, last weekend, uh, we had a defeat for the centre-right Macri administration uh, to the Peronist candidate Alberto Fernandez. Um, And this is a precursor uh, to the formal elections that take place, is being considered as a lead indicator of likely defeat uh, and therefore uh, likely abandonment of reforms and reversion to a more populist agenda, which has had dramatic effects um, on Argentine bonds um, and also on the currency, and of course has upset sentiment uh, more, given uh, what I was saying a moment ago about the US and China. More specifically, um, and which we'll definitely come to with Patrick, uh, we had some poor data out of the Eurozone last week, uh, particularly in Germany, where industrial production fell by a further 1.5% month on month in June. Uh, Germany continues to be at that the epicenter of um, the lackluster picture for manufacturing globally. Um, and of course, grabbing the headlines here in the UK was UK GDP, which contracted for the first time since 2012, which was down 0.2% quarter on quarter. Now, of course, much of that is being blamed, and Azad has published on this uh, as a result of the uh, the inventory buildup that had taken place in uh, the run up to uh, the uh, initial prospective date uh, for Brexit. Uh, And of course, now that that's been postponed, uh, the next drama day is Halloween uh, in October. Uh, That has caused this distortion. But with that said, the underlying picture in the UK continues to be a lackluster one, uh, even if a technical recession uh, should be avoided. So, Patrick, with with that as backdrop, um, and I, you know, I notice on my Bloomberg feed this morning that Hong Kong is once more in the throes of um, protesters shutting down the airport. Um, We've got tensions uh, looming in Italy. We've just talked about Argentina. We've talked about there's just so much um, that is uncertain at the moment. Um, What's what's your lens on the uncertainty currently? Yeah, Charles, uh... I think you hit the nail uh, on the head. Uh, Uncertainty is certainly a topic we are discussing for the last uh, quarters. Especially uh, Trump uh, and his uh, 
trade uh, tensions he is creating has uh, built up uncertainty. And we see this uncertainty really feeding into into, uh, the manufacturing sector. And we have uh, countries uh, exposed to manufacturing, especially in Europe, you would name uh, Germany and Italy. So they will they will really bear the brunt uh, or the, the the most of of that uh, underinvestment we are seeing. Investment cycle certainly is is very weak. I think the German manufacturing PMI uh, was at forty three. I think that is uh, as low as it was in two thousand eleven. It is as low as it was in two thousand and one two in the industrial recession we had had in Europe not yet reaching the full amount of the great financial crisis of 2008, but really indicating a very meaningful recession. And after all the stimulus that we've had? Sure. I think that's a, that's a good point too, that the central banks are extremely loose in their policy, in, in my opinion. We see interest rates that are, that are very low, negative for Europe, even in the United States, so we are talking uh, five-year treasuries below one and a half percent, and 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 that certainly is distorting asset prices to a large degree. Because on the one side, the uncertainty we have discussed, and 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 there was a long list of of, of things we have mentioned, that would warrant outright much uh, more severe pressure on on risk markets than we have currently. But on the other hand, uh, I think central banks are seen as very dovish and, and obviously they are under pressure from the Trump administration as well. Well, they're increasingly they're being drawn into the political dimension. I think that's that's the sort of reality, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's I think that's reality. But I'm not sure that that is helping us much. I, I would really think that you are pushing and pushing with with monetary policies while it is more on the fiscal side, it is more on the reforms where we could really make meaningful uh, impact uh, for, for countries, uh, countries uh, like Italy, uh, like Germany, where maybe their business uh, setup is not ideal for the future. But you touched on Argentina, where there was a market-friendly administration or still in place, but most likely now getting booted out. And, and the uncertainty of who is coming next is certainly increasing. And therefore, the outlook for the economy has to be weaker than what we have expected. So we've spent the last few minutes talking about um, political drama. Um, we haven't really been talking about traditional cyclical uh, dynamics, you know, be it, um, uh, you know, investment cycles or, or such like. Of course, politics you know, has ramifications for those cycles, as you mm. were intimating around manufacturing. Mm. But therefore, from the point of view of your investment process, um, Patrick, how do you and the team you know, navigate through this? Yeah, I think <clears throat> we find it, we find it difficult to understand how boards of in the manufacturing sector can really draw long-term plans currently, 
how do you want to invest in 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 markets or in plants for the next uh, that are built for the next 20 30 years when brexit is looming just around the corner the trade war is looming just around the corner we have some disruption in technologies as well and all of that uh, just makes a very weak investment cycle so we are certainly staying away from the cyclical sector by and large. We, we are underweight uh, not only the manufacturing sector itself, we are underweight uh, raw materials. Uh, we certainly have a short position in, in the car sector that is not only not only based on the manufacturing cycle we are having, but also based on, on the new technologies that are coming in. And, and that creates new uncertainties. How, how quickly will society pick up electric vehicles? That, that's certainly, certainly a big unknown, and, and that, that's very difficult to analyze. So when it comes to portfolio positioning, we would then look for safe havens look for let's say utility like assets uh, um, they could be in the traditional utilities uh, we certainly own real estate as well we own a lot of uh, residential real estate that is in my view kind of considered an utility and with ultra low rates, uh, I think these uh, kind of uh, property investments have have a lot of equity as a cushion. And they have uh, that underpinning the, because of that liquidity environment. I think they they do that, and and the outlook certainly is not that interest rates will will change uh, quickly. Right. Certainly, Europe seems to be deep entrenched in in that uh, very low interest rate environment. So let's talk a little bit about um, uh, about Germany for for a moment. Um, I called out some of the statistics uh, earlier. Um, clearly, Germany has uh, and, and maybe lift the conversation up to, to sort of fifty thousand feet and globalization for a moment, because Germany has been a huge beneficiary, uh, to my mind, from what's been taking place in China, and yet you're now seeing the friction that you were describing a moment ago. Um, what do you think is going on in the minds of German policymakers now? How do they how do they respond to this? Uh, yeah, wow, that's uh, that's super difficult for for the Germans. Uh, on the one side, they they are an, they are an open economy and they want to be open to all directions. Obviously, uh, the Trump administration is not only targeting China, but certainly targeting Germany as well with the trade surplus they are having and with uh, defense spending uh, that is not to the liking of, of Mr. Trump. So at the same time, I think there is uh, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is built uh, connecting Russia to, to Germany where, where gas should flow through. And there's a lot of big projects uh, where where other meaningful global players uh, have our stakeholders too, and navigating that uh, seems seems really difficult. And long term, I, th I think the good thing is that the Trump administration, uh, by by the Constitution of the United States, will only be in place for eight years. 
So the Germans will be careful not to lose uh, the close relationship to, to the United States uh, just because uh, one president is, is making their, their life very difficult. And then they most likely try to kind of survive that, that eight years in the best possible uh, shape and hoping that relationships will, will uh, become better over time. But the really big thing that I think we have to understand is what is that fundamental question about the US-China relationship? I really think it goes about the leadership globally and, and certainly the US uh, find it difficult to let go to, to a much bigger country, huh? much bigger most likely by in terms of population and obviously over time most likely much bigger in terms of uh, GDP. And yes, therefore, I mean, I, they're, they're trying to sort of um, uh, come to terms with the fact that there is now another very large player um, when they've had uh, the right to kind of dominate in inverted commas over the last 30 years. Um, and I've seen it written that, you know, we're potentially moving to a more, as opposed to a globalized world, a, a kind of a tripolar world where you have kind of three big blocks um, with, uh, with the US uh, and immediate allies. Uh, maybe you'd wrap Japan into that. You'd have um, uh, China uh, and, and the sort of immediate Chinese allies. Uh, and then you'd have um, uh, the European Union. Do you, and to the extent to which everybody is kind of more inward looking and you've got different kind of administrations, um, that that sets up a new paradigm, which of course for multinational, multipolar companies uh, becomes a harder world to navigate within. Uh, I, I hear you. But I would be surprised if that is really the future. I think uh, a lot of the younger generations, uh, they like uh, the openness uh, of the globe uh, that we have enjoyed for so long, ripping that all apart and then coming to a tripolar world. Wow, I, I don't hope that that is happening. Obviously, we are seeing how, how hard the US is fighting and I think they don't allow any Chinese students to go to the top courses anymore and, and all of that separation of technology certainly is happening. But I really don't hope uh, this is here for the long run. I hope this is really more a national flare-up and, and, and this will last some years, but ultimately you know, the, the global population will understand uh, that we are all living on one planet and that's not easily divided up and there are big problems uh, we have to solve in terms of climate change and other things and they can only be solved if, if the globe works together. So I really hope you're wrong on, on that. Well, it, it's, I'm not saying it's my view. I'm strongly... I didn't assume that. I likewise hope that that, that kind of fragmentation is, uh, proves, to be, proves to be false because I share your, um, share your belief in the need of, for the world to work together in, in, in such a fashion, uh, particularly when it comes to things like climate change. So uh, to come back to kind of where we're at um, uh, from an investing um, standpoint... Uh, 
when we were chatting before, you, you talked about the parallels of, of uh, between now and the end of 2017. Um, perhaps for our listeners, just elaborate a little bit on that and then maybe um, draw out, uh, again, the ramifications for your own strategy at this point. Yeah. I think what I mean is that we talked about the uncertainties and, and how risk assets uh, should respond to that uncertainty. And, and certainly we need a bigger risk premium maybe then that is built in to the markets at the moment. At the same time, we see interest rates being at the very low end of, of, of a very long cycle of declining interest rates. So normally when we have that kind of situation, and fixed income or a credit investor would like to hide in, in really high rated securities, survive the storm, and then invest later on in, in more risky securities. But that luxury is not easily available. So if I would use, let's say, in, in, in the global funds uh, I'm managing, if I go into the money market uh, world, I, I, I would get minus uh, 60 most likely in, in Europe. I would get a bit above nil for sterling and in dollars currently, uh, maybe money market yields are still around 2%, but the forecast is they will decline uh, quickly. So there's not much hiding space uh, at the moment, I think. When I made the comparison to 2017, that was at the end of the last uh, risk bull market. And, and even we knew that we have to hide, it was very difficult to find these hiding places. And I think the same difficulties appear now. Don't forget uh, in, in the global funds, uh, total returns are up to 12% uh, this year. So we will have harvested a lot of that return in the first uh, seven to eight months of the year already. Expectations have to be much lower for, for the next, uh, for the rest of the year. So just sentiments very much shared by your equity colleagues. Okay, okay, that's that's great. And we have seen there will be opportunities, obviously. Huh? We, we have seen the recession fear certainly has uh, has weakened single Bs in Europe. It's certainly uh, the Argentinian uh, election on, on Sunday certainly will have uh, changed the risk appetite and the pricing for Argentinian assets and for assets in LATAM in general. So there's always things uh, we, we can investigate. But overall, we have to recognize that, that a lot of performance has been harvested this year already. And, and finding the best hiding ground uh, seems to be the right strategy. Patrick, we're running out of time, but that's very clear. Thank you very much indeed for your comments. Um, just to summarize, uh, I think we've covered uh, a very comprehensive picture of the uncertainty that it's afflicting uh, global markets right now. Uh, there are different trajectories um, with some uh, quite extreme commentary starting to emerge about uh, the prospect for globalization to go into reverse. I think we both hope that that doesn't happen um, to an extreme degree. Um, but we, uh, you're, you're clear that uh, this stage of the cycle, um, given what has taken place by the central banks, uh, given the returns, to, to use your phrase, that have already been harvested uh, year to date, um, that more circumspection is warranted at this point um, to protect value at this stage 
uh, and you talked about some of the more asset-backed sectors, um, uh, utilities and real estate and the like, uh, as being more defensive stores of value, and that you continue to be very skeptical at this point of the more cyclical-oriented uh, credits uh, that are available to you. And so with that, Patrick, thank you again for your time. Really, really appreciate it. And to everybody listening, uh, thank you again for your time. And that concludes this week's call.